I have experienced hate speech ever since I came out as Dalit in 2016. I was very vocal. I was talking about, you know, what caste looks like. Obviously, that um, narrative bothered a lot of people. Welcome to the United Nations Uniting Against Hate podcast. I'm Katie Dartford and each week I'll be talking to those who've encountered hate speech firsthand, as well as activists and experts from around the world about how they're trying to counter it. In this episode, I'll be having an in-depth conversation with Yashika Dutt, the leading anti-caste expert, journalist, and the award-winning author of the non-fiction memoir, Coming Out as Dalit. For anyone that doesn't know, what, what exactly is Dalit? Dalit is a slightly controversial word, but in the most basic terms, it is the self chosen title for a group of people who are so-called untouchables. And when I say untouchable, I don't mean it in the Western sense that we are so great that we are at the top and we're untouchable. What I mean is that untouchable folks is a group of people who belong to certain castes that lie at the absolute bottom of the caste pyramid. And they are considered unworthy. They are considered untouchable by the sense that their touch is considered revolting. It's considered polluting. And this is a practice that still continues. There is an idea that um, in Indian societies and South Asian societies, caste no longer exists. But of course, that is not the case. So the folks who belong to these castes, including myself, have chosen this word Dalit. In Hindi, um, it means somebody who has been oppressed. It is just a way to sort of band together to identify ourselves. But like with any community, there is a lot of controversy about whether we want to address ourselves by this name. You know, of course, there are different opinions, but for the lack of a better unifier, Dalit is the term by which we identify ourselves as the oppressed people of the Indian subcontinent who want to come together and sort of raise a voice against casteism or just by the identity of who we are. So what prompted you to come out as Dalit? It was a response to the death of Rohit Bemula and how you know, he made a choice to not pass. He made a choice to not hide his identity and had to pay a really heavy price for it. And I had the privilege to hide my caste, but if I didn't, then it could have been any of us. Any of us could have been the victim to institutional casteism. And that really made me launch the stumbler, talk about my own story, talk about my caste that I'd been hiding for years and years, and really to um, hopefully let other people in as well in this conversation. And also, I want to mention that as a result of the Facebook note, in 2019, I wrote a book titled Coming Out as Dalit. And that is a memoir, surely, but also it's a historical account of what castes look like and how we got here and how caste looks like today. In my opinion, um, I tried to create this argument and analysis through, you know, data and research and reporting because I'm a journalist to make sure that this is this um, complete argument about never being able to erase castes, for people to never stand up and say, well, caste doesn't exist. And if you think it does, show me the proof. The book I've 
tried to write is in a way a conclusive proof that caste exists within Indian societies in the United States, back in India, in the UK, in Australia, pretty much wherever Indians are. It's amazing that in the, the 21st century, this sort of casteism still exists. Um, yeah, I think it is incredible, but, you know, it's not unique. We see racism and, you know, the hatred against immigrants is an issue across the, across the world, really. And we look at where the world is heading. Uh, you know, hate against minorities is really making a comeback, unfortunately. But yeah, in the Indian subcontinent, caste has been an issue that has always been around. But with, uh, the, t- around the time of India's independence, uh, you know, we had uh, our Dalit leader, the re- the leader of Dalit rights. His name was Dr. B. R. Ambedkar. Um, academics in the West describe him as the MLK of Dalit rights, which might or might not be fully accurate, but definitely he was the one who was responsible for making sure we had equal rights. Um, we had affirmative action. We had equal rights as citizens that the Indian constitution, he was the father of the Indian constitution. And we, he made sure that, that the government and the bureaucracy understood the seriousness of caste. That led some folks to believe that caste was suddenly over. But just as we are not post-racial, we are certainly not post-caste because these are systemic issues that have been ongoing. And in fact, in, you know, in the case of caste, it is very much an in, invisible weapon. It has morphed as societies has, have evolved, as India has moved into 2022, caste looks different. It's, it no longer diff- looks like how we imagine it to be, you know, and of course there are certain pockets in the country where it exactly looks like that. But in urban areas, as more people have moved out of their caste-based professions, caste has also evolved and it's still very much present. So being Dalit didn't stop you doing things like going to university, but it does affect you in different ways. Oh, absolutely. I think there is a big component of education. So I want all of those folks who are listening to understand that one of the ways caste manifests is against education. Dalit people were banned from education for a long time. Dalit people were banned from touching books. Education was inaccessible to you if you belong to an untouchable caste community. However, Obviously, since the independence and like I mentioned, since the new constitution that India had in 1947, that changed dramatically. Dalits were allowed to have access to schools. We, you know, technically and legally schools couldn't um, just, you know, throw you out because you were a Dalit person. However, socially and culturally, that's still not the case. There are still instances where kids, Dalit kids, are either made to sit outside the classrooms or they're forced to do um, labor, physical labor around the classroom, like clean the floor or clean the bathroom toilets because that's their quote-unquote caste profession. Not very long ago in Rajasthan, which is also the state that I come from, uh, uh, an a eight-year-old kid in their maid, Meghwal, that's his name, was beaten to death by his upper caste teacher because he touched 
And I literally mean that. He touched the water vessel that contained the water that the teacher was drinking from. And because of his untouchable caste status and the concept of purity and pollution that came with it, the teacher got so irate that he beat this child to death. And that happened early this year, not very long ago. So this disparity in education continues to exist in the universities across the Indian subcontinent, and frankly, even in the United States, where there is a large student body, Dalit students have talked about how they face discrimination, how they're told that they're not talented enough to be in this place of learning, how they're ruining the talent pool just because they availed affirmative action and they don't deserve to study. The, the rates of student suicides among Dalit students in India are at an all time high and they have been because there is systemic harassment against them in in schools and universities in India. And I'm sure as you're paying attention in universities across the United States, Dalit students have started to come forward and talk about the stories of discrimination that they face. You're listening to the Uniting Against Hate podcast from the United Nations, and I'm talking to Yashka Dutt, a leading anti-caste expert, journalist and award-winning author of the non-fiction memoir Coming Out as Dalit, where she describes how she felt compelled to hide her caste whilst being terrified of her true identity being found out. How is this manifesting itself through hate speech? How, how are people being targeted and have you experienced hate speech as well? Um, you know, that's a very, that's, that's a great question because it forces us to think about how casteism manifests. And one of the ways that casteism manifests, along with all the other systemic patterns, is verbal assault. That has always been a part of how caste looks like. That has always been a part of the way in which dominant caste folks make sure that untouchable people, lower caste people, uh, are never dare to think that they are equal. So verbal assault and so-called hate speech, even if as it existed before online spaces, has always been a part of our societies. We've had caste slurs. The name of my caste is Bhangi, B-H-A-N-G-I. And, you know, I've said this before, there's a lot of shame and stigma attached to just this name. Just the name of the identity that you belong to carries so much hate because people use it in a hateful way. That name is used as a slur. If somebody looks like how they shouldn't look like, if they look, uh, you know, their appearance is dirty, if they don't look well put together, they're called a bhangi. That is the OG hate speech that has existed in our communities. Now, it, it's not surprising then when Dalits move online and become vocal and start talking about the atrocities that we face against a society that has worked very hard to make sure that caste never talks about, that hate speech is going to manifest online. You know, I personally, you ask me how I experience hate speech. I experience it daily. I have experienced hate speech um, ever since I came out as Dalit in 2016. And I want to talk about that a little bit because before I used the words coming out, we really didn't have the vocabulary to express this unique experience that Indian Dalit people have, where we are forced to hide our caste. 
And we we are able to do that. That also is a function of a little bit of access and just a marginal bit of privilege because we don't live in the villages or areas where our castes can be identified. We have moved out of our caste-based professions thanks to affirmative action policies, thanks to getting some education. And we, when we move into urban areas, we are forced to hide who we are and pretend to be upper caste. And that process of passing, and we see that in several African-American communities and communities across the world, frankly, that brings a lot of trauma with it. And this process of passing, it did not have any identifier for a very long time. It had no name. There was no understanding that there was this was even something that existed. And when I sort of came out as Dalit and launched my Tumblr blog, Documents of Dalit Discrimination, I wanted to make sure that people had the vocabulary to talk about this, they, to have the space to talk about this because, you know, speaking about hate speech, that's all that existed around Dalit discourse online. You know, if you were to talk about caste issues online, not until a very long time ago, you know, all we heard was hatred about affirmative action, about Dalits not being worthy, about them not being deserving of the spaces that they finally had access to. So Documents of Dalit Discrimination, at least my page, was an effort to create this safe space that was in response. I'm sure, you know, people who have been keeping tabs on castes know about the 2016 murder, an institutional murder and suicide of the student called Rohit Pramila. And he left this last letter that really inspired so many of us across who, the Dalit movement or people who were Dalit to really come forward with their identities. And this was, you know, my effort to create that safe, safe space in response to his death that, you know, where we can talk about the trauma of what it comes to be a lower caste person. I face hate speech every day on Twitter, every day on Facebook. You know, uh, if I give um, a talk or have a panel or a discussion, there are always a few trolls. And I'm told that I don't look Dalit because I speak in the English that I do and I don't conform to their idea of what a Dalit person looks like. I'm told that, you know, I'm being paid by a mysterious agency that exists somewhere to do this and not because I'm truly sick of the discrimination that I face and that people around me face. So that hate speech is just a part of being Dalit and it truly does have a heinous form online because you can mobilize armies of trolls to just, you know, swarm on your account and make sure that you never use your voice again. And it's quite scary. So how do you cope with hate speech? Are you frightened or worried that something will happen to you? You know, it is scary. And like I said, and coping with it, honestly, is a day by day process for me. When it first happened to me in 2016, um, I just come out as Dalit. I was very vocal. I was talking about, you know, what caste looks like and all these ideas around caste and how we need to identify and acknowledge that it exists and no longer erase it. Obviously, that um, narrative bothered a lot of people. So I have been a part of many 48 hour cycles of 
of troll attacks where you would see one of the really prominent, um, perhaps right wing account with a million or so followers retweeting my tweet and, you know, maybe making a quote tweet and saying, you know, this person is an idiot or they don't know what they're saying. Just go to their account and tell them how to behave. And for 48 hours, I would have accounts constantly in my mentions, you know, hurling abuses, invectives, slurs, telling me to, you know, dangerous threats of physical harm, bodily harm, sexual assault, you know, death, all of that. And for the first time that it happened, it was really scary. And I had to go offline for a long time and I had to really cope with um, with it in a serious way. I had to speak to my therapist. I'm very fortunate to have one about how to deal with that. And the threat seemed very immediate. Even though I am in, in New York, I live in New York, and the threat, a lot of it comes from India. And now we are seeing you know, the, the rise of fundamentalist Hindu communities in the US as well. So there is that too. But it was it was a scary time. And over time I've learned how to cope with it. I've put cybersecurity practices uh you know into place. I know how to spot the signs of what could be a troll account. I proactively look at some big troll accounts and block them so they can't see my tweets. But these are only marginal protections. I mean Elon Musk is going to take on Twitter we don't know what's going to happen to the voices like myself who will probably be thrown vulnerable to more hate speech. And it's a really scary time out there. Wow. Okay. And, and, and it's getting, so it's getting worse, you feel? You could say that I've become more resilient and I know how to cope better with it. So in a way it has gotten better, but yes, with more awareness, as uh, my visibility probably grows, as more people recognize the work I do, in ways it is getting worse. But I've also understood that this is the part of the job that I do. This is what I've chosen. I have to do it in the safest um best way for me in in a way that I'm most protected but it is a part of of what I do and I just have to learn to block that out and of course if something manifests into a physical threat like people have had their addresses leaked you know female journalists in particular have been doxxed and I'm worried that you know what if there is a threat of that there was a Dalit activist who had to go into a safe house because her address was leaked very recently. So this kind of um these kind of incidents are becoming more commonplace and we constantly live with this idea that what's what are we going to do if something like this happens to us? And it also consciously or subconsciously affects how we use our voice, right? Like ultimately you do think if I tweet this in this particular way what is going to be the consequence? And of course, that only makes you more creative. That makes you think about pace about sending your message, but doing it in a way that does not involve an obvious threat to you. At least that's how I look at it. So how is the Dalit community responding to hate speech? Are they feeling more threatened or learning how to deal with it? I think it's uh, difficult to speak for the entire Dalit community because, you know, there are 
it's about 25% of the India, India's 1 billion, 1.2 billion plus population. So everybody deals with things differently. And, you know, even within that community, a lot of it is based in the rural areas, not with easy access to social media. And of course, even if there is an easy access, maybe there are other spaces. So people that I speak who are English speaking um, or Hindi speaking, because those are the languages I understand on Twitter, are dealing with it by really just trying to not care about what people are saying about them and by assessing the threat in real time. We've seen the trend of journalists uh, who are from minority communities, Muslim journalists in particular, being arrested and put in jail for what they say. And that has happened to Dalit voices as well. So, you know, a lot of Dalit folks are constantly assessing the risk of what could be with every word they put out online, what the consequences could be. I, when I talked about this incident within in their Meghwal in Rajasthan, and I, you know, tried to sort of paint a comprehensive picture of what caste in Rajasthan looks like, a lot of people got in my mentions and said that I should be arrested the moment I land in India, just for talking about my experiences of what my home state looks like when it comes to caste. The, uh, the argument was that I am spoiling, quote unquote, the reputation of the community and the place, you know, outside India. So the moment I land, I should be arrested. Now, how credible are those threats? We don't know. But, you know, you don't want to wait for them to be credible, right? You don't want to land and then have something bad happen to you. So this is, I think, a risk that a lot of Dalit folks who are vocal online are making, especially in 2022, on a daily basis. So do you think there's a way of educating people about the dangers of perpetrating this kind of hate speech? Can you see a way of countering it? Well, it's really an uphill battle. Like we've been asking Twitter, Meta, Facebook, Meta, Facebook, Instagram to really change uh, their policies. But it seems like, you know, just very recently it came out that Facebook is very accessible to people who are in the government and who want to report something as hate speech. So any speech that is holding the government accountable can be reported as hate speech and their accounts could be banned. This has happened to some journalists in India maybe just two or three days ago. So how do we stop that from happening? Unless we have institutional access or some kind of institutional power, as bleak as it may sound, we can't do much. The best we can do is, you know, talk to you. I'm like, I'm having a conversation right now, creating awareness, just, you know, having people on our side to understand how dangerous and risky this is. And also just making people aware internationally, like wherever there are Dalit people across the world and they're everywhere because, you know, Indian communities are all across the world. So, you know, just talking about caste is really important. Making sure that caste is not erased is really important because then when Dalit folks talk about the experiences, more people understand and not necessarily South Asians, but people who are not South Asian understand what we're saying. They understand that the risks that we're taking by speaking about this and hopefully, you know, there is 
power in a mass voice. People who come together and demand change that can change things. But, you know, the, the tech companies that we're working with, with social media platforms, um, Twitter, I think is a lot better than most others because a lot of the harassment happens there, but it's still very difficult to, um, really ask them to institute any kind of change because we don't have the access into those spaces and they're not certainly making things easier or more comfortable if you're a woman or a vocal Dalit person online. That was Yashika Dutt, a leading anti-caste expert, journalist and award-winning author of the non-fiction memoir coming out as Dalit. So for now, goodbye. Join me again soon for another edition of the Uniting Against Hate podcast from the United Nations. <laughs>